What a blessing that was, Amy. Thank you. Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. What's the rest of it? Never failing. I hope that's your trust this week and has been your trust since you've come to know him. It's good to be with you. I'm Kurt Parker. If you're a guest here with, you, with us, we welcome you. Make sure that you let us know that you've been here using the communication there in the seat in front of you. And for those who'd like to be a part of Children's Church up through grade six, you can dismiss your little ones right now and uh, they will go downstairs in the age-appropriate service. I'd love to have you as a part of that, and so uh, if you'd like to avail yourself of it, please feel free to do that. We are currently in a series called God's Plan for a Healthy Church, study through the books of First and Second Corinthians, in particular, being a saint, and specifically we have talked about benefits. Now, you probably recognize that, uh, that's China. And it's been in the news recently because of pollution. And it's funny that uh, we're talking about benefits. Well, the Chinese, of course, government want to make sure they spend everything so it's positive. So believe it or not, they came out with, um, they, <laughs> they came out with five positive benefits of heavy pollution in China. And here they are. <clears throat> Chinese are more unified because of pollution. This is a real article. I just read it. The Chinese are more equal because of pollution, because no matter whether you live in a mansion or a basement, you still have to breathe the same air. <clears throat> Chinese are more clear-headed. I'm not sure how that all works out with the clear-headed thing, but uh, supposedly according to the Chinese government, because of pollution, you're more clear-headed. Chinese are more humorous because of it, and Chinese are more knowledgeable, I'm sure, of the PCBs and everything else that's in the air. Uh, that's a benefit package, of course, according to China, of being in pollution. Now, we are looking at a section of scripture that talks about the benefits of being a believer. And so these are real benefits, and they're not made up, and they're things that belong to you. They're positional, and they also have uh, connected with them some imperatives, and we're going to look at that today. So open your Bibles, and let's preserve our time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look at verses 4 through 9. We'll read those together, and then we'll jump into our study. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, and uh, you can find that in the, in the seat, right around the seat in front of you, if you'd like to read in the same version, or just read along and I'll give you verse cues. We can stay together and your understanding will be enriched. Also, if you are a note taker, you'll notice that uh, as we go through the study in the PowerPoint behind me, there will be some things underlined. Uh, those correspond with what you'll find on the back of your bulletin. It's no longer an insert, but on the back. And so you can uh, jot those things down as takeaways if those are helpful to you uh, today. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from your open Bible, starting with, I thank. Verse 4 says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. A marvelous section of scripture, considering all that we know in the background as we look through the background of this uh, church in Corinth and uh, what we know about some of the book of Corinthians, for, perhaps if you've read through it, you understand how remarkable it is that he refers to them as saints and then talks about their benefits. But Paul has in mind uh, a plan. He wants to remind them of who they are, and then he wants to encourage them to act and commensurate with who they are. And so we've seen that a little bit as we worked our way through. We'll do that again today. Now, as we look at that opening section, 
Paul calls them saints. He reminds them who they are. That's going to be the foundation for his instruction. And so Paul takes this time at the beginning to remind them of who they are. And then as we read this book, of course, we're reminded as you've come to faith in Christ of who you are. And there's a benefit package here. It's a marvelous benefit package. And it really covers all the seasons of life. And perhaps you picked it up as we work through those passages just now. We see the past. There's grace. And we see in the present there are gifts. And we see in the future that there are promises. And uh, an easy way, I guess, to remember that, what it means to be a saint, one who's called on the Lord for salvation, is that all the past mistakes you've had have been dealt with. It gives you everything you need to live in the present and completely guarantees your future. And that's a pretty cool benefit package. Now, let's look at grace and see what happened in the past uh, for the saint. And we'll just talk about this very briefly because we've looked at it already. This is verses 4 through 6. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which, here it is, was given you in Christ Jesus. So the first benefit of being a saint is grace. And we looked at that benefit and when the benefit began. Look at verse 6. Skip over, uh, if you would, verse 5. Go to verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ, here it is, was confirmed in you. What we said was that when the gospel of Christ was settled in you, then that grace was made yours. And so what we have then in verse 4, this is really great. In verse 4 we have the divine side. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That's the divine side. Grace was given because of God's desire to do it, because he wanted to glorify himself, because he wanted to uh, give us opportunity to minister to the world and to the other saints. And we saw all those benefits of re- or all those reasons why God perhaps gave grace, but ultimately it's for his own purpose, for his own glory. And then we see the, the, uh, the human side, the, the response side, then in verse 6, and that response, of course, is that you hear about the saving grace and, and that it is what it is. You believed and it was settled in your heart and that benefit then became yours. So both sides of it included here. Saving grace continues then in the present and manifests itself uh, in blessings throughout all the believer's life. Now look at verse 5, if you would. First Corinthians 5. That in everything you were enriched in him, it says, in all speech and all knowledge. Now skip over verse 6 because that was the concluding thought to verse 4. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. And what we saw really at the end of our time together last time was that you were enriched. Uh, Plutizo is a Greek verb, a very important, aorist passive indicative. It just simply means this. Uh, you've been made to have an abundance and you continue to have an abundance. Okay, It happened in the past. It has continuing results. And of course, it's a qualified everything. It doesn't mean you have everything that you want or literally everything. It's qualified. It means you have everything that you need. And we looked at a number of corresponding verses that illustrate that for us. First Peter, or 2 Peter 1.3 says that you have all things that pertain to how to live on this earth and how to walk in godliness. And so that's qualified. You have everything you need to walk on this earth in godliness. You have all things. Keep that in mind. Colossians 2.10 we saw last time. It says that you've been made complete in him who is ahead of all authority. Okay, so you've been made complete. So you have everything that you need. And I really like 1 Corinthians 3.21 where he says this, so let no one boast in men. He says, uh, for all things belong to you. There it is. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And that's a very rich verse, beloved. So as a saint, you have everything, you lack nothing. That's a very important position to understand that you have. And then to pull out a few things that you have that when he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 5, he says that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. So two specific things here that we looked at. 
we looked at the first one, speech. We didn't get to knowledge last time. But here you've been made to have an abundance. All speech, that's the noun logos. It, it, we understand it. We use the word a lot. It's connected to a lot of things we say. But it's just a word or a saying or an account delivered by word of mouth. That's the essence of Paul's emphasis here. And once again, it, it is a qualified all. You have all the utterance you need to do the job. You can't, of course, because you're saved, talk about things you don't know about. But when it connects to your Christianity, you have all uh, the utterance that you need. We have all the utterance or the speech to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. That's the issue. And, and here's the context. All speech is to go and tell forth the truth. That's the context. You've been enriched in all speech. In other words, you can do it. You have the ability to speak. You've been given an overabundance. That's the idea of the ability to speak the gospel. And now, we took some time last time, and I won't do it again, but just briefly to see, obviously, all of us are not using the speech we've been given, okay? And from Ephesians 6, 19, we see Paul even asks for prayer concerning this. It's a very comforting verse because perhaps this plays a part in why you don't actively share the gospel, okay? Now, don't kid yourself. If you haven't shared the gospel this week or this month or even this year, you're not actively using this gift of abundant speech that the Lord's given you, all right? So connect with that at whatever level it is for you and then realize there's always room for improvement as we desire to speak on behalf of the gospel. But Ephesians 6, 19, Paul says, pray... On my behalf, Paul speaking of himself, that utterance, here's the same word, may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Verse 24, which I am ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, that's an interesting passage because we don't often think about Paul as someone who didn't open his mouth. We think about Paul that opened his mouth and usually within just a few minutes or a day or so, got himself in pretty deep water. And so Paul says, though, that he's having some trouble, and he wants them to pray for him that he open his mouth. And perhaps Paul was fearful there in Rome. Uh, we know he was fearful in some respects in Corinth. We looked at those verses where the Lord had in Acts 18 had to come and encourage him, be ready to speak, continue to speak. I, nobody's going to harm you here. I have many people in this city. And so Paul went through some seasons where he wasn't speaking. Now, there's one thing about, it's one thing to go through a season where you're having some trouble speaking the gospel. It's another thing completely if you're just not doing it at all, okay? So you want to move out of that second one and into the first one, perhaps, and understand, hey, this is something I need to do. These are not options for me, as Scripture describes them. These are things that I've been given, and I've been given a command to use them. So it's positional, and then it has some commands connected to it. But we can easily talk ourselves out of witnessing because of fear or doubt. And I think everyone can relate to that, so we won't put up any hands. Uh, what you have to do is, you have to see what Paul does. He asks for prayer to open his mouth. You pray and ask for prayer and ask the Lord to open your mouth as well. And maybe ask others that are close in your circle, people who are your mentors, people who are your sharpeners, to pray for you as well, that you will open your mouth, because we all are given opportunity to do this. And Paul says, as a believer, you've been enriched in all speech. You have what you need to do the job. Now... We saw Matthew 10, 19, right at the end there, that Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say, for it'll be given you in that hour what you're to say. For it's not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And the benefit that they had, beloved, is the benefit you still have. You're enriched in him in all speech. That's what Paul just got through saying, 1 Corinthians 1. Now, that doesn't mean you leave your mind blank, okay? Now, the Lord's just going to fill it up. I don't have to worry about reading his word or understanding what it says or any of those things. Uh, you know, Paul said to Timothy, this verse, as we use it in our Awana, Theme verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to what? Present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. How do you do that? What's the last part? Accurately handling the word of truth. Okay, so you're in the word. 
you desire to understand it, you accurately begin to handle it, and the Lord can use you. And obviously Paul did that. Uh, Paul was in, wrote this pas- these passages, had constant fellowship with the Lord, uh, spoke the truth constantly, orally, and yet still had some occasional fear. So it just means that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the things to say, okay? And if you've been in uh, an act of witnessing on a regular basis, you'll know that's the case, okay? You'll know the Holy Spirit jumped in there, and he took you in a direction that you didn't think you were going to go, but the, word, the verses came into your mind, something you've been studying, and it was the right word and the right season for that situation. So you'll know that's what's going to happen. But once again, it's, it's a truth that you need to exercise. You're going to see it happen as you begin to put this to work in your life. And so uh, Paul, of course, was doing that, and he says you're abundantly supplied in all speech. You have a message. It's amazing. And I think that you undersell perhaps what you can do. And so be encouraged that part of the benefit of being a believer is that you have all speech. You have the ability already to witness, and you have the mandate to do it. Okay? So pray that your mouth will be open, because you already have the gift. Realize if there's anything going to be accomplished, and you come in with this already, beloved, and you know this, okay? If there's anything going to be accomplished, it's going to be through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be through God's merciful opening of their understanding. God's going to be at work in that situation. And if anything happens as a result of it, uh, apart from you planting the seed, perhaps, in, in the ground. It's going to be because the Lord is at work, okay? So understand, God does that. And when you stop to think about the reality of your life as a saint, you've been abundantly supplied with all speech, and that is pretty exciting. And maybe you didn't realize that coming in here today, but maybe you would understand that now. That's a pretty exciting position. You've been supplied abundantly with all speech. That doesn't mean you put your brain in neutral. It just means you're going to have to really make sure you get enough information in there to really be useful to the Lord when the time comes. Do what Peter said, 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify uh, Christ as Lord of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready. Set apart the Lord as uh, Christ as Lord of your, in your heart and make sure as you do that that you are ready to give an account with gentleness and reverence. Or Colossians 4, 5, and 6, you've heard me read this many times. It is a passage that's very dear to my heart. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. These are people who are not believers. These are people who are outside this realm of those who call on the name of the Lord. Conduct yourself with wisdom there, okay? Understanding what the will of the Lord is for you to be a witness. Understand where their, where their orientation is. So conduct yourself with wisdom. Make the most of every of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace. So it's not like whether you speak or not. It's always let your speech. Okay, so you're actively engaging here. As though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And so this is what we're asking the Lord for. He's already said you're abundantly supplied. And so go ahead and do it. And once again, it's positional truth in the indicative. This is you've been enriched in all speech so that then you have a basis for the exhortation in the imperative, which is go and do it then. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Be ready to give an answer. Every time you speak, let it be with grace, seasoned with salt. All those things, see, are part of what you can stand on now because you have this positional truth. You've been enriched in all speech. Now look at the third thing that comes with being a saint. 1 Corinthians 1.5. That in everything you were enriched in him in all speech, and then the second one, and all knowledge. So you've been abundantly blessed with the gift of all speech. So you can speak. You're already ready blessed to do it, and you've been abundantly blessed by this gift of all knowledge, okay? Now, all knowledge is, is the Greek noun gnosis in the context. This is moral wisdom, okay? It doesn't mean that I know everything, all right? I don't inherit a whole bunch of knowledge when I come to know Christ as my Savior that's not connected with this job he's told us to do, but simply this is uh, we know 
uh, this moral wisdom, this understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 even tells us that we only know in part. So we don't even know all that we will know, but we know enough. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 5, I know everything I need to know. And the word here, and God has given you as a saint enough revelation to speak the truth to the world. You know the truth. Now look forward, if you would hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians 1 and turn to 1 Corinthians 2.11. Would you do that? 1 Corinthians 2.11. This is a great illustration of what we're talking about, that you've been given this gift of all knowledge. Now Paul asks a question, um, and he starts to make a point from the question, and then he wants to draw everybody to the understanding of where knowledge is coming from. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now that's important, okay? Thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, verse 12, Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You see? So as a believer... Uh, you have something you didn't have before, which is an ability to understand what the thoughts of God are through the Holy Spirit that's in residence in your life. Verse 13, which things we also, what? What's it say in your copy? Oh, you're not even there. What in the world? Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And you know how always around these holidays, the big holidays of the year, we always get the experts that come on, uh, you know, on PBS and all these places. They're going to talk about Christ and the birth of Christ. They're going to talk about the death of Christ. And they're not believers, and they don't understand, and yet they wax eloquent about how, how much they know about this. Listen, we understand these things. You understand these things. Because if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and you have the ability to discern the thoughts of God, and they come to you through the Word of God. Verse 15, But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So a great benefit for you, okay? And you only have it because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, on to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Let's look there real quick. So flip over. One book to the right, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I want you to know this, and then you can go back if you want. Mark these in the margin of your Bible. Here's cross-references for you in 1 Corinthians 1. But on to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It starts like this. For God who said, see where we are, light shall shine out of darkness. He is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the one who created everything also has shown a light in your heart if you've come to faith. So he can give you this knowledge. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, obviously, right? We're, we're, uh, we're frail, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. He's going to give you this knowledge, and as you begin to speak in this uh, all utterance, and you have the knowledge that you need to tell people about the thoughts of God, it's God doing the work. It'll be obvious that the Lord is speaking through you, okay? It's not in, it's not in your power. It's not in your ability. It's in, uh, because that's held in an earthen vessel, and God is at work. So we have a new man housed in the unredeemed flesh. We've looked at that at length. Uh, the knowledge of this glory of God through our re relationship with Christ, uh, God has committed his truth to us. That's how it works, okay? We know him. We know the Son. We know the Spirit. We know the revelation. See? Of course, mark this. We said before, we need to understand that knowledge. 
don't we? We need to spend some time working through it. We need to study to work out that knowledge to make it ours so we can be more and more effective. That's why it's very important to, to spend time in the Word each day. It's important as you're heading into the ministry to head to seminary, get, get sharpened, get encouraged, be directed, uh, know how to approach the Word. These are all very important issues. But the bottom line is, as a believer, you have all utterance, all knowledge. You have everything you need. You're equipped to do the work of the people who are around you and who are in uh, uh, your circle of influence, okay? Marvelous benefit. And that appears really to be the point of Paul's prayer for the saints at Ephesus. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul wants us to realize that. He prays that for the church. Do you pray that for the church? It's one of the things I put on my computer. These prayers of Paul for the church that regularly throughout the week I pray that for Berean. These are super important prayers. I hope you pray them because I'll be the benefit, so will the church. Okay? That the eyes of our heart will be opened that will know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. The surpassing greatness. These things are harnessed in you because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He said the same thing to the church at Colossae. Colossae Colossians 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. Here it is. Mark this, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To be filled with the knowledge of his will, okay? Not just a remote acquaintance with the knowledge of his will, but be filled with the knowledge of his will. How beneficial is that, beloved, to a, this, to a world that walks around in darkness? How beneficial is that to the people you're going to bump into on a regular basis throughout the week? Uh, a world that has no idea, right choices. You've got an election coming up and has no idea, they have no idea how to discern uh, a, a correct candidate, one that upholds, as Jim said earlier, moral truths and values. So these are very important issues. You know, you want to know a relevant passage of the Word of God? Everybody wants the Word of God to be relevant. It's always relevant, okay? But listen, it jumps right in. and be, the, more, the, the, the Word of God looks more and more relevant the more you shorten up the distance between the commands and what you do, okay? The reason why people say ah, the Word of God is not relevant is because most of the time they look at Christians who aren't living anywhere near what the direction, uh, the direction that the Word of God has set out. So the word, it must not be relevant. Believers aren't even doing it, see? You want to make the Word of God relevant? Just shorten up that distance between what the Word says and what you do. Then you will look very relevant. Wow, that's made a big difference in his life. That's made a huge difference in her life. Listen to what she says. I mean, just, she just seems to have a peace about things. She's not worried about the future because she's secure, but she has an understanding of some of the issues of the day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit gives you that understanding of the will of God. So he tells, Paul tells the Colossians to get a grip on that, you know, the knowledge of his will. When they get a grip on that, it will be so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. That's one of the benefits of walking in all knowledge, right? That you can please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge that's mature, beloved, works its way out in obedience and understanding, okay? Knowledge that's mature works its way out in obedience, Strengthened with all power, Paul says, according to his glorious might. There's so many wonderful benefits here, beloved. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. These are the end results of all knowledge at work in your heart. But without the gift, the benefit of knowledge to the saint, we wouldn't be able to comprehend any of it. 
God has given us all knowledge, beloved. It's a positional truth, and we need to appropriate it correctly, which is in the imperative. So we have both of those things. This is who you are. This is how you should act. He's given us all speech, which is a positional truth, our benefit of being the saint. All we need to do is open our mouth, which is in the imperative. So we're gifted. God's gift to us. How beautiful are they? It's just amazing. He's given you everything that you need. And just think of it. You have everything. Everything. You've been made according to... Listen, this is such a great verse. Colossians 1.12. You've been made qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Did you understand that? Joyously giving thanks, Paul says, to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Qualified. Can you get a grip on that? You are qualified for the kingdom right now. Did you know that? That is who you are. You're qualified for the kingdom right now. And all the while you're qualified, God is working out a sanctifying work in your heart. Qualified for the kingdom. He's equipped you with all speech. He's equipped you with all knowledge. We're going to see a number of other gifts here in just a minute. And he has qualified you already. And it's amazing what you can do. And as I said last time, sometimes as you lead somebody to faith, the amazing, most amazing part to the average Christian is not the miracle of new birth, that they were moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, which is by itself is an unbelievable miracle. If you look at your own life, how were you moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son? That's a miracle. But the biggest thing I think that astonishes most believers is that the Lord used you to do it. And that shouldn't be astonishing at all because you've already been qualified for the kingdom right now with the gifts of all speech and all knowledge. So it's in, that shouldn't surprise you at all. But it sometimes does because we undersell what we can do. and We don't think we can follow through. And so these are very important principles, beloved, to understand the benefit package that comes to you as a result of being a saint. Because Paul's making sure they understand, the Corinthians understand, before he begins to admonish them for a number of things. It's this desire to have a pure church, and he's going to show them what that looks like, but he wants them to know who they are because that's the foundation for all the rest of his teaching. Philippians 1, 6, for I'm confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. As it's begun, it will finish. And perhaps it'll be more difficult, perhaps than it needed to be because of your resistance or, or lack of knowledge of the word or whatever it is. Perhaps it'll be easier, perhaps, than, uh, than you expected because you desire very much to, to be in line. But whatever it is, the Lord's going to finish it out. Now, these are some specific areas of speech and knowledge, okay? Now, Paul's going to move into some general areas. So look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 7, if you would. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 begins like this. So that you, see where we are? <clears throat> so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now let's back up to the beginning of verse 7. He uses the word so that, haste. That's the same word you can see therefore in the New Testament. Okay, same idea. Therefore, as, as a result of, and so we're, we're looking back then, if you will, uh, to verse 5. That in everything you were enriched in him. Okay, so you're looking back there. Everything you were enriched in him, so that then so that you're not lacking in any gift. That's the idea, okay? Now, he has some parathetical statements in between the two, but the bottom line is, you've been enriched in all things, enriched in him, everything, so that you're not lacking in any gift. So, the word here is uh, gift, is charismata. It's in reference, of course, to spiritual gifts. We've looked at those before. Um, they had no lack of spiritual gifts, which means, then, implied, they had everything they needed to minister to each other. Now, I love how it's very comprehensive here, okay? Um, Verse 5 likely has as its focus the ability of those believers to present the truth to the world, okay? So they have all speech and all knowledge. That's directed out, okay, in many, in many respects, directed out. 
And then verse 7 likely has as its focus the ability of those believers to minister to each other. So there's this whole really comprehensive package of gifting that the Lord has given each believer to minister outside. Okay, now the gift of knowledge obviously ministers inside. Those who have the gift of teaching and counseling, you know, able to, to administer these gifts, obviously you're going to have that knowledge applied there. But in general, the foretelling of the truth is directed out. All speech, all knowledge. You have all confidence then to do those things that you need to do. And then these things here, your all gifts likely have this focus the ability of believers to minister to each other. They're fully equipped to reach the world. They're fully equipped to build the church. So they lacked nothing. And that word lacking, uh, verb hostereo, uh, to be in need of, to fail to attain, to be inferior or to be behind, Paul says they're not behind in any of those things, see? Not in need of, not coming behind in anything, not inferior in anything, but in particular, not in need of any charismatic, any spiritual gifts. They already have everything that they need for the church. And that's where we get our word charismatic, okay? That's a good word. It means those who've been given gracious gifts of God to minister to his church. Uh, we reject the, uh, what is known as the charismatic movement, which is a misunderstanding of the term, a misappropriation of the term, but we don't reject the word. It's a biblical word. It's an important word. It, it came uh, behind, they came behind in nothing. They had everything. They had all the spiritual gifts they need to minister to one another. And just to take a moment and make that practical, because this is another of those marvelous benefits of being a believer. You have grace, you have all speech, you have all knowledge, and so the benefit is, beloved, that you have spiritual gifts. And you know this, as we've talked about it in, in different studies before, but every single one of you uh, as a believer have gifts of the Spirit, which were given to you to minister to the body, and they are adequate to build this church. Did you know that? Every individual here, very important. You've been given spiritual gifts, the Lord's placed you here, you're supposed to plug those in, it is for the benefit of the church. Did you know that? It makes the Holy Spirit visible to the world. When you get involved, you use your spiritual gifts, and you have to find that place, and I've told you before, it's an it's a, it's a experiential knowledge of your spiritual gifts, so you get plugged in. People say, well, where do I start? I don't know what to do. You know, I'm not sure what gift I have. Okay, well, let's just begin by exercising uh, those gifts and see where they match up with your personality, and, and as we saw in Romans chapter 12, that measure of gift that was given to you according to your faith. There's all this wonderful mix, okay? So, you know, when people have the spiritual gifts test, so everybody with gifts of exhortation stand over here, everybody gift of mercy stories over there. I, I don't think that that's the issue at all. I think the issue is, is that uh, the Lord has parceled out those things in accordance with faith, according to his own purpose and will, to bless the church, okay? And so he's given you um, perhaps a combination of these things that you can enrich the church. Now, as I will say, as we've said before, as you grow in maturity, sometimes it looks like you have all the spiritual gifts. But that's not it, okay? And you don't. You just are growing in maturity and let the Spirit deal with you and you interact with people in such a way that you begin to show forth fruits of the Spirit that begin to look like uh, you have all the spiritual gifts. But that's not the issue. The issue is really you've been equipped a certain way to benefit Berean, okay? And so you need to get plugged in. And when people leave, that yanks those spiritual gifts out, doesn't it? And we hurt, don't we? And sometimes I think maybe that's the intent to make sure we hurt. But the bottom line is this. You have spiritual gifts. Every single one of you have Christian, uh, Christians who are gifts. And we've talked about that at length in Romans 12. And we grow because you're using them. Okay? I don't have all of them. Uh, our, our other leaders don't have all of them. I need them. They need me. We interact with each other. We fill in when we're weak. And, and the other person helps out when the other person's weak. And that's how it's supposed to work. See? This is dynamic going on inside the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I don't want you to be uh, unaware. That's, that's a pretty important statement. 
I think I've skipped over a few things. Let's see. There we go. Now, it isn't because you lack, <laughs> this, this is important. Paul gets to Roman, or 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, and that was the answer to the one I skipped over, spiritual gifts, you have them. Okay, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. That's an important, by the way, of interpretation and context to know uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 is written to the Corinthians. Here's why, okay? It wouldn't be the same insight, beloved, now listen, if it was written to the Thessalonians, okay? Here's why. They were a good, solid, growing church with good, solid believers who were an example of giving and a number of other places in the scripture, okay? But the Corinthian church was in terrible shape spiritually. Many problems, lots of gossip, lots of backbiting, lots of discord going on, okay? These are all sinful behaviors. They negatively infect, the, affect and infect the church. So Paul's talking to the Corinthians, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of spiritual gifts. So notice when he says that, it is, he says it isn't because you lack spiritual resource, okay? Corinthians, you're not lacking spiritual resource. You have all the knowledge, all the speech that you need to reach the world. You come behind in no gift to benefit the church. You have everything you need to be what you ought to be. You are saints, and a saint is a whole thing, okay? You got the whole package. And when you're talking about spiritual maturity, beloved, as it relates to the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, you don't grow up to get something you didn't have when you became a brand new Christian, okay? Do you understand that? That's very important. You were given spiritual gifts. Now, you are going to discover them, and if you're walking according to the Holy Spirit, it's leading in your life, you're going to discover them, and you're going to start benefiting the church more and more as you grow in maturity. But you're not getting anything new, okay? You understand? When you come to be a believer, you want to start putting the gifts of the Spirit, at work, or the uh, fruit of the Spirit. You want to start seeing that in your life. But those are already standing out there saying, okay, gifts of the Spirit are here, and as the more you come in, in submission to what the Word of God says, the more those will be manifested in your life. But when we talk about spiritual gifts, all knowledge, all speech, all gifts, understand you don't get anything else. You were made whole uh, with all the parts. For instance, and this isn't a perfect illustration, but to think about it perhaps will help be helpful. If you think about a baby, okay, a baby isn't born without arms, and it gets arms at five, okay? And it, I realize teeth come in, okay? So if you want to get technical with me, I understand. You know, you lose your baby tooth and you get a, a big tooth. But those are all lined up, okay? So it, it, I'm still good, okay? I mean, so the other way, the older we get, actually that's what it is. The older we get, the more we start losing stuff, right? I mean, that's what ends up happening. But the bottom line is, in general, a child is made whole, okay? Now, when we're talking about spiritual rebirth, you were born in Christ and were made whole with all the parts there, okay? It's only a matter of exercising those parts until they can function in a mature way. That's all that stands out there, okay? You have everything you need. There is no lack. You're complete in Him, like we saw last time in Colossians 2.10. For in Him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Verse 10, and in Him you've been made complete, okay? So, very clear, isn't it? The fullness of Christ dwells in bodily form, Fullness of God dwells in bodily form in Christ. And in Him, that's in Christ, because you are in Christ, see, you've been made complete. So we know that when a Christian sins, when a Christian falls into laziness, when a Christian falls into ineffective service, when a Christian falls into impurity, it's not because he lacks anything, okay? You're not lacking anything. It's because you're not appropriating what you have, you see? You don't need something else. God's already stocked your shelf. 
You don't need anything. You have everything for health, for vitality, for growth, for reproduction. Everything that you need, you have all these things pertaining to life and godliness, said Peter. Everything that the church needs uh, in, in the essence of your spiritual gifts, you've already been given. See, the church may be lacking your involvement, so we may be missing some people with certain spiritual gifts that could really be beneficial to us, but you already have them, see. So it's very important. The issue is your commitment to be faithful to what you have. And you have everything. What's the benefit of being a saint? You know, what's the benefit of being a believer? One, you, got, you have grace, which just means absolute forgiveness and guiltlessness forever. Two, all speech, all knowledge, uh, so that you can speak the truth to the world that desperately needs to hear and to understand that truth. You have the ability to communicate it. You have the knowledge you need to draw on. Uh, you know, and four, spiritual gifts so that you can minister to, to the believers and grow the church in maturity. So you have everything that you need in this life and everything for the future. And really, that's our last stop. We have promises for the future. Now, if you've been through with us the, these studies of Revelation and Daniel, then you know that we're always looking and watching and waiting and hoping for Jesus to come. And the more we read those books, the more we understand what we're supposed to be doing, as Daniel was, praying along with the Lord, understanding his will, Lord, let this accomplish, like Alex prays in the morning, corporate prayer, you know, let there be peace in Israel. Is that the Lord's desire? Yes. Is there peace in Israel now? No. But we know that that's where it's headed, and we want to hasten that day, don't we? And the more we're in tune with what the Lord says about the future, the more we're anticipating him coming, aren't we? The more we're connected to the world and desiring the things of the world, the less we're thinking about the Lord coming because we're hoping we'll accomplish X before he gets here. Because I don't want to miss that out on that. If somehow uh, these shadows of things to come are better than the things that are coming. Okay? So, but we always are looking forward to that. We're praying to that end. We understand what's going on in the Middle East. We look with eyes and have knowledge that the Lord's given us. And the more we read his word, the more we understand all these dynamics in play. Okay? So, we're always watching, waiting, hoping, and all that. We know that the rapture is going to catch us away. We want to be found ready. We want to be doing the will of the Master. Uh, we look forward to the Lord's coming. We are made for eternity, and we look forward to that time. Our citizenship isn't here, Philippians 3.20 says. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior. Right? Is that you? Does that express your life? Maybe up until now it didn't, but maybe you can rejoice with that. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior. Can you say amen to that, beloved? Is that true for you? Let that ring in your heart. That should put a smile on your face. Our citizenship isn't here. That really takes the worry off of it, doesn't it? I mean, ultimately, we're going to go out and vote, and we're going to be salt and light and all that stuff. But ultimately, what happens does not trouble us, because we have a long view of history and a long view of the future, and we know the Lord takes care of his own, doesn't he? And our citizenship isn't here. We're aliens here. Okay, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a savior. And we're constantly feeling that tug of that world, right? You're feeling the tug of that world. And you know you're feeling the tug of that world when you give faithfully, as Jim asked you to do. When you give faithfully, you're feeling the tug of that world. Why? Because you're laying up treasure in heaven that doesn't ever fade away, right? When you're actively witnessing on a regular basis, you're feeling the tug of that world. Why? Because he who wins souls is wise. And they're going to shine like the stars of the heaven forever. You're going to be able to glorify the Lord in a way you never could before because you faithfully witnessed here on earth. When you're going through difficult times in your life, a severe health issue, when you lose a loved one, when you're having some financial issues, whatever it may be, and you trust the Lord with that and you give him that glory, do you realize that those present trials and tribulations equip you to better glorify the Lord for eternity than you ever could without them? And so that tug of that world is always there, isn't it? Always there. Constantly in our mind, we look for that. We have that sense. 
And we have loved ones who've died and gone there. I lost my mom this year, and, and so it's even revitalized again, and close friends have lost loved ones recently. And we're revitalized again that there are people who are already there, and we're longing to see them. So there's a pull from that as well, not just from the other things we talked about. Now, look at that last part of verse 7, will you? First Corinthians 1. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a, that's, a cool, that's a cool passage. Apocalypsin. That's where we get the word the, from the book of Revelation, right? Awaiting eagerly the revelation. That's the revealing, the exposing of who he really is. That really describes a believer in so many worlds, doesn't it? Awaiting eagerly the revelation. Are you awaiting eagerly the revelation? Are you at the point in your life where you really desire that more than anything else? You want the Lord to be revealed? You know, we, we eagerly await that and we're busy to that end, which just reveals the purity of our desire, doesn't it? We're busy to that end, the Lord being revealed. We want the Lord to be glorified. We're living a life in such a way that he is glorified. We're witnessing so he's glorified. We're going through difficult times so he's glorified. We're hastening that, right? And that really reveals the purity of our desire, that we eagerly await the revelation of the Lord. We feel like John when he says, you know, Jesus says, I'm coming. And he says it again, I'm coming. And he says it again over and over. And then one more time, and then Revelation 22, 20, he says, he who testifies to these things, yes, I'm coming quickly. And what does John say? Amen. What? Come, Lord Jesus. Don't we? we say that, don't we? That's what we want. Jesus says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring in my reward with me, and, and I'm, I'm going to come, and I'm going to take care of these things, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to have justice reign. And then John says, come, Lord, even so, come. And when you say that, you really desire that the Lord is to come. But, you know, on the other side, when you're walking in rebellion, when you walk in gossip, when you walk in disobedience, it really sends a completely different message, doesn't it? It shows you really don't desire his coming. I mean, let's be real, Right? Like in the book of Jeremiah, I was reading Thursday, chapter 7, where the people are doing all these things that don't align with what the word of the Lord says for them to do and with his revealed will. And then they come into the temple and they say, this is the Lord's temple, this is the Lord's temple, we're delivered, you know. And, and he, asked the, you know, he asked the people, exactly what kind of message are you sending? And, you know, the coming of the Lord is not going to be joyous for you, okay? And even for a believer walking in disobedience, the coming of the Lord to catch you away, you'll go, and then you'll go to the beam of seat judgment, and then everything perhaps that you've wrapped your life around may be burned away, and all that's left is your over-righteousness. So it's, it's an important issue, and recognize that the more you're involved in the, in the revealed will of the Lord, the more you really show you're, you're eagerly anticipating the revelation. Now back to 1 Corinthians 1, 7. Then as a, as a benefit of being a saint, we have promises for the future. That's the issue. We have promises for the future. In our own heart, we're eagerly awaiting the revelation. Eagerly awaiting it. And we won't be disappointed, will we? It's really going to come. So we're eagerly awaiting it, but it's not like we're hoping for it, man, like we use the word hope today. Yeah, I hope, you know, like a, a kid, you know, I hope I get, you know, PlayStation 4 for Christmas, you know. And maybe it will happen, maybe it won't happen, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not the hope that the scripture talks about. We eagerly await because we know this is going to happen. We know it inside. And one of the benefits of being a Christian is expectation, isn't it? I have hope. You have hope? I, I'm not worried. I have expectation. I have hope. I don't really worry about what happens in the world, ultimately, because I know God's going to take care of his own. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I care what happens in the world from the world's viewpoint, okay? But it doesn't threaten my security. It doesn't steal my hope away, knowing that things don't go well. I don't live in a hopeless world. I have, I have so much hope that I just trust God totally with, with all of that. I'm waiting 
uh, for Jesus to come. I believe he's going to come very soon. I believe that time is, is very near. Now, perhaps you have that hope too. Let's just kind of identify why, why do we have that hope? Just a few things that perhaps will resonate with you. This is one of those things that you always try to take in as a, as a teacher. If there's some things that are important, you can, uh, yes, I have hope. Well, scripture says you're supposed to have, be ready to give uh, witness of the hope that's in you. So what are the reasons why we have the hope? See, Why do we have an earnest expectation, this hope of assurance? Well, first of all, it means the exaltation of Christ, and he deserves that, doesn't he? And that's the first thing I think of. It means the exaltation of Christ. In the Gospels, he came in humility and was murdered. Okay? But when he comes back again, it'll be for his exaltation. I want him to come because he'll be exalted and he comes and he deserves it. And in Revelation, you see him coming on a white horse crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he comes, he's going to be exalted and it's time for him to be exalted. He's been humiliated way too long. And number two, it means the defeat of Satan, doesn't it? And he deserves that. And perhaps you've been dealing with spiritual warfare recently or whatever. But, uh, you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to defeat Satan and he's going to bind him for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, we understand he's going to let him loose for a short time to show the true nature of man and fully vindicate the Lord's in front of everyone. That it really is the nature of men to rebel and it's not the Lord's fault. And then he goes and he's going to chain him and throw him in the lake of fire. And he deserves that. He's accused the believers for too long. He's stolen and killed and destroyed for too long. He's attacked the church and his people for too long. He's tried to destroy Israel for too long, and it means the defeat of Satan, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the Lord being exalted, and I'm looking forward to the defeat of Satan. And number three, we have this expectation, this anticipation, if you will, and hope of his coming because it means justice for the martyrs, and they deserve that, don't they? 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul writes, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, Paul speaks proudly of the Thessalonians, like we said before, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Paul says, listen, I, I know you're suffering an awful lot. Just remember this, Paul says, for after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. It's just for God to do that. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's not sounding too good for those who are doing the persecuting. It's coming a day when the martyrs are going to be granted vengeance, beloved. You know, just pulling from the headlines today and not even going back through history. The Asha Bibis, the Iman Seraphims, Pastor Fayez, all those kidnapped, persecuted by Boko Haram because they're believers and they're snatched away, the Islamic State militants and all that they're doing. Listen, there's going to come a day God's going to set all that right, okay? We may be powerless at really as a nation to do anything substantive about that right now. I think we should be doing all we can do to help protect the innocent. God says vengeance is mine, though. Ultimately, when Christ comes, that's going to be vengeance for all the martyrs, and they deserve it. And he knows how to do it. And then springing off, you know, number three means the death of Christ-haters. The death of Christ-haters, and that's not my words, okay? It's not compassionate to say, well, I hope they don't die, you know, hope everybody gets in. You know, hope, they, hope everything works, just works out. Christ's death was so powerful, you know, that it's just going to take care of all the Christ-haters too. No, no, it only takes care of Christ-haters when they come and submit and fall in repentance before the Lord. Because when the Lord Jesus will be revealed, same wording we've been looking at, that anticipation, that earnest anticipation of his revealing, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed, 
from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will, uh, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of, of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at, um, at, among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. You know what? We, we look forward to the day. Why? Because it's the exaltation of Christ and he deserves it. And it's the defeat of Satan and the demons and they deserve it. And it means justice for the martyrs and they deserve justice. And it means the death of Christ haters. He's coming and he's going to judge those who hate him. And one of the sub-benefits we'll have as a saint is the expectation and sure hope that all this mess is all going to be straightened out. And all the godless judges and all the wicked and willful presidents and all the self-absorbed dictators and a lot of the ACLU lawyers and, and other things, wicked professors and teachers and all of that kind of stuff, see? All who have passed on atheism, all who've passed on wickedness, all who've exalted uh, uh, the uh, wickedness, undermined justice. If they remain in the unredeemed state, Jesus knows what to do with them, okay? And I take great hope in that. That's encouraging to my own heart. It doesn't stop me from being salt and light now, but I know and I hope in the fact that Jesus will take care of all that, and it's a sure hope. And finally, revealing of Jesus means heaven for me and for you, doesn't it? I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. I know you probably feel the same way. By grace, I'll be like Jesus. By grace, I'll be finished serving as an under-shepherd. By grace, I'll see him. By grace, I'll walk with him. I don't deserve that, but I look forward to it because it's part of his revealing, and I look for his coming, and you say, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of gloating. I'm not gloating. I just feel like John the Apostle, Revelation 10, you know, he took the scroll, and uh, he had to eat it, and it was bitter in his stomach, but sweet on his lips, you know, that whole thing. You know what that meant? It just means in his view of the coming of the Christ, uh, it was sweet. As he took the scroll and he devoured it, it was sweet to his lips. Why? Because it's God's word. It's always going to be true. It's going to come to pass just like he says he is. And all the things are going to be set straight. That's sweet, isn't it? We know God's word is true. You know, we read a lot of stuff, you know, that's not true. We go into the restaurant, we see a picture on the menu, and what we get doesn't look like it. It's not like that, okay? When we read this, we know it's true, and that's sweet. And then it's also bitter, isn't it? Because we know it includes people, maybe people you know, my own family. Stay in an unredeemed state. The Lord knows what to do with them. See, There's just an expectation that the Lord will do what's right, right? Will not the God of all creation do justly, like Abraham said, right? He will, and that's what's the answer to that. Yes, he will. It's sweet and it's bitter. We hope for his coming. We look forward to it. We await eagerly the revelation, a current benefit of the saints, with the reality of all that that means waiting in the future. Now, let's see another future promise as we speed up a little bit. You need to read faster with me, okay? Verse 8. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that confirm is a very important uh, principle there. It just means the same root word we saw in verse 6. Verse 6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you in the past with continuing results. Now verse 8, we see the same root verb where it speaks of the future. Uh, the end is the noun telos. That's uh, by which a thing is finished. Will also confirm you to the end, see, that which is done, it's close, the end of which all things relate. You know, we have a telescope where we get use part of that word. That's an optical instrument that allows us to see out to the end. Okay, but here the benefit is of being a saint is the topic. The Lord is going to uh, confirm you to the end. And so Christ is going to confirm saints to the end of all things. And then this word blameless, anencletos, 
And the first word is a, it's a compound word. First word, alpha, which just means the beginning, from the beginning until now, all the way through. The second word, kaleo, in kaleo, rather, which refers to bringing a charge or being accused. And the idea together is, in the accusative, accusative sense, they're able to, unable to be called into account. For a believer, they're unable to be called into account, unable to be reproved. That's going to belong to you. Did you know that? It belongs to you already. It's a future promise for you. Confirm you to the end, blameless. Understand that. A future benefit will be for all Christ followers that Christ will confirm you, settle you, make sure in you blamelessness. Okay? The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. That's when grace was given. And the Lord in the future will confirm you, settle you, make sure in you blamelessness, unable to be reproved, unable to be called into account. That is a promise that belongs to you for the future. And everybody gave a collective sigh of relief, right? He is going to confirm you to the end, blameless, beloved. That puts a smile on your face right away. When I read that again this week in a study, that I was just like, I just stopped and prayed and just thanked the Lord for that. I don't deserve that. How could that possibly be? Right? But it is true of you and all who come and call on the name of the Lord. See? And then it just says this, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us the time stamp, if you will. When he comes, he will confirm you that he will settle you, make you steadfast until the end, blameless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. That's a combination term here. It means the time of Christ's return. It's likely pointing ultimately to the glorious return of Christ but certainly including the rapture of the church because he'll be revealed to the church at that time. And if you go with him, that certainly confirms your blamelessness, doesn't it? I mean, by default, if you're gone, then he doesn't take sinfulness into heaven, does he? You're fit for the kingdom if you know Christ is your savior and you get caught away, so you're blameless. But uh, that confirms it. But when he comes in his glorious return to earth and you're with him, everybody's going to know, okay, that he confirmed you blameless to the end. And that's some kind of promise, isn't it? And you can see why if, if when he came, he was going to you know, flash all your failures everywhere and say, uh-oh, you know, Kurt, we got, uh-oh, we got some problems here. You know, like the mechanic after he, he reads the codes off your car, he's like, ah, got some problems here. You know, if he was going to come and do that, that wouldn't be confirming us blameless, would it? Right? You wouldn't be eagerly awaiting the revelation of Christ. It was going to be, well, here's the problems that we're going to have, okay, in front of everybody. That's not it. Now, there will be a beam of seat judgment for the saints, okay? And it'll show how we used the faith we were given and what we did with our time on earth is not in relation to sin, okay? It'll likely be that during the tribulation time on earth that we have that beam of seat judgment. And when we get to the end, we all know that we will receive a robe of righteousness, if nothing else, okay? So if whatever else you did was just using your time for the world, and that's all burned away, ultimately you have the robe of righteousness, and you are confirmed blameless to the end, Okay? We go into the judgment, the Bema seat, relying on the blood of Christ. And who's the one who judges? Christ. And who's the one who paid for us? Christ, right? Romans chapter 8. So we, re we come relying on the blood of Christ. And everyone who's there knows it'll be the same for them. And no one's going to say, aha, I knew it. You know, because their turn's coming, all right, at the Bema seat. Nobody's going to be sitting back there going, I knew he was doing that, right? Because your turn's coming next, all right? You don't want anybody to do that to you. Besides, you're going to have a you know, glorified mind, and you're not going to do that anyway. We only do that now, right? So just get a, grip on, get a grip on that promise, all right? That's amazing. How many sins are going to be held up against you when Jesus comes, beloved? Zero. You say, that's amazing. Yes, it is. 
That's amazing. When the day of the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he's going to present to the Father a chaste bride, right? Without spot, Ephesians chapter 5 says. And without blemish. And he's going to say, here's Parker, blameless. Wow, that's fantastic. I only expected that because that's what it says, not because I think that's what's going to happen personally, okay? It's a positional truth, blameless, so I accept that by faith. That's where I am, see? How can we be so sure about that? This is our last benefit of being a saint in this introduction, verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we know that's going to happen? God is faithful. As a saint, you have a God, the one true God, who's faithful. That's a benefit to you, okay? That's who you serve. He's faithful. You're not faithful. I'm not faithful. He's faithful. And he said that's how it's going to be. And Paul just confirms it. Listen, in case you wonder about that, and perhaps some of the Christian Corinthians were wondering about that, considering how they lived in the manner of life that, style that they'd chosen over the, over the past. And Paul calls them saints and tells them they have all knowledge and all speech. And then they have you know, spiritual gifts. And then you know, they're going to be confirmed to the end blameless. And then, how, well, how do I know that, Paul? Perhaps they're already in, under conviction as Paul gives them a positional truth. He says, you have a God who's faithful. He called you into communion with his son. And if he called you into communion with the Son, beloved, he'll keep you. You got in by grace, you stand in grace, you be kept by grace. If he started this relationship with you by his faithfulness, he'll continue the relationship by his faithfulness. You know how you can know when you get to the end of all things, you're going to be found blameless? Because God was before all things, and he's at the end of all things, and he's faithful. He called me into the fellowship of his son. He called me into that fellowship. He wanted me to be there. And if he wanted me to be there, he's going to keep me there. Amen. That's exciting. Now listen to 1 Thessalonians again, 5.23 as we close. Now, this is super important because I think this first part is where people actually live. And they don't need to live here. Listen to what it says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, may your spirit, Paul says, be, and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, sure, I pray that too. <laughs> I pray that, you know, I'll be sanctified and, my, and I'll be preserved complete and without blame and I'll be without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be completely holy in my conduct. That's what it means to sanctify entirely. Okay, I, I pray that for myself. Is that where it ends? I mean, do we have to say, oh Lord, please preserve my body. Please preserve my spirit. Please preserve my soul till you get here. Oh, my hope that, you know, that's not how we have to end, right? Look at the next verse. What's it say? Faithful is he who calls you and what, beloved? Please say it. Will also bring it to pass. Do you feel better than you when you came in? Lifted? You know, I get to read through this a bunch of times this week, and I feel better. I feel refreshed. Because, man, I don't have, I don't tend to have a very good angle not God's angle for sure, and watching my own life, you know? I see a lot of my failures. I just think that's just a one endless connection of failures one after another. The Lord sees a whole different perspective, doesn't he? And he's going to confirm you blameless. Faithful is he who calls you and will also bring it to pass, okay? And that's divine on both ends, isn't it? Where here's with Paul, we had the divine part and then confirmed in you, but here, faithful is he who calls you, he's going to bring this to pass at the end. If you're a saint, you're going to end up with, you know, at the judgment throne of God, absolutely holy, and spend eternity with him in his holy presence. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I thank my God for you. And I thank my God, Paul says, 
but that's true about me as well. Those are the benefits of being a saint. They're offered to you. When the testimony of Christ is settled in your heart by faith, they become yours. And beloved, may you follow through with that transaction. The best benefit package you've ever read. And don't delay. They don't belong to you because your parents are born again, okay? They don't belong to you because your spouse is born again. They don't belong to you because your best friend is born again and he loves being at church or she loves to go and you just come, okay? They don't belong to you by uh, proxy, okay? They're only going to belong to you when you submit yourself to Christ, confessing your sins to him, repenting of those things that you have done, and changing your mind about who Jesus is, receiving us as your Savior. Don't delay on that. Would you bow with me? Let's, let's close in prayer. Faithful Father, as we've seen you called now numerous times in these passages, we're so grateful to be called your children, to have been adopted into your house. For those who called on your name, who were born again, we are your adopted children, co-heirs with Christ, as other passages tell us. And the benefit package you've given us is beyond our understanding, certainly. It is within our reach because of faith, and we only have that ability to understand these benefit packages because you've given us all knowledge, and we can talk about it because you've given us all speech. We can encourage the church because you've given us all the gifts we need. And you've assured the end of our life. And Lord, we're so grateful for those benefits. But there are some who sit here without a doubt who do not have those benefits and have not come into a right relationship with you. In a prideful manner, have turned away from the, the gospel they've presented and stand outside looking in even not even understanding much of what we said today. So, Father, I pray as we pray when we go to witness that you may open the understanding of their heart that they may receive you as Savior. You're gracious to do that. It's not your will that any parish but all come to the knowledge of salvation. We pray that today. If you have been on the outside looking in, if the benefit package we just explained does not describe you, then it's our desire that you come to faith in Christ today. Do you pray even where, right where you sit? No one looking around, you can pray, confessing Jesus as Lord, believing in your heart God's raised him from the dead. When you confess Jesus as Lord, it confirms and affirms in your own heart that he is who he said he is, that he came to save sinners, that he died a death on the cross in your place and rose again to show the power of his sinless life over death. His blood has paid for the sin and the rebellion of men, and you can appropriate that to your own life by confessing him as Lord. Do it right where you sit. You're not going to tell him anything about your own life, about your pride, about your private life and your thought life that he doesn't already know. Because, beloved, apart from salvation, he's going to judge you for all those things. And don't think that your goodness and how you act, you know, on a day-to-day basis, if your good, relative good is going to save you, it won't. Holiness of God, it's what's held up as a standard. Sacrifice of Christ, it's what's paid your debt. If you deny that, you will spend eternity paying a debt that, you, that you'll never be able to pay, but you'll pay what you can pay, which is eternity separated from the Lord forever. So I call you not necessarily for self-preservation, but I call you to the best life, the John 10, 10 life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. But in order to get it, you're going to have to lose your life to find it. All your aspirations, all your goals, all the things you had planned for your own life, all your pride, all the hidden sins, all that confessed, given up. 
That's the bad news. You're, gonna, you're a sinner, separated from God, under a curse. Good news is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. If you prayed that prayer today, it'd be our joy to know that. Before you go, don't let anybody keep you from filling out that response card in the pew in front of you. Let us know. Give that to me before you leave. And I can pray for you and put in your hands resources to help you grow. Don't let your pride get in the way of that. We are joy to help you, disciple you, turn you into a reproducing Christian, one who is, has, because when you come to faith, you have full, all knowledge, all speech, spiritual gifts. Those are made to be used. And this is the beginning. Lord, we give you praise today for our time together. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints, which is so sweet. I pray that you'll bless our time this afternoon as we use it for your own glory and for your kingdom. Thank you for our families and all the things that we enjoy, which are all gifts from your hand. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who we long to see and earnestly anticipate the revelation of. And all God's people said, amen.